Hello and welcome to this latest episode of Terrace Memoirs and the latest delve into the life of a football supporter. If you don't know me by now, I'm Dave Harris. I'm a Reading fan of 32 years, season ticket holder of 22 and general all-round football nut. And uh, yeah, football's back and any optimism you may hold uh, for your club has hopefully borne the fruits of tradition by being utterly blasted by your club's fortunes so far, uh, where Reading are concerned, of course, we've conceded six goals in our first two games. Um, admittedly, the second was with a side that makes a secondary school tournament look old by comparison. Um, and yeah, there is always another game. And for us, it's the visit of Preston North End to the select car leasing stadium, um, or the car park, as I tend to like calling it now. Um, anyway, uh, moving on from, from all that shit, um, what was a wonderful talk with uh, Swindon fans, Hannah and Chris, in the last episode. Um, we move on to a club that have gone from dire straits about 20 years ago with owners who would spend money for nothing uh, to being brothers in arms as a wholly fan-owned club. Exeter, Exeter City, uh, for me, uh, are what I understand, uh, well, from what I understand of the club, for me, is in the very top tier of well-run clubs in the professional leagues in England, uh, maintaining a debt-free existence while also ensuring they're able to field a team that in recent years has perennially been in the upper reaches of League Two. And to talk about the Grecians today, um, after much badgering to get on the show, I have to say, uh, not that he's reluctant, he just leads a very busy lifestyle. I'm delighted to finally pin down another one of my very good friends. Now, Tom Morris is a lifelong fan of Exeter City, as well as his local non-league club, Bromley and also happens to be one of my social go-tos when I'm in his neck of the woods. And, of course, Tom, you are heartily welcome to the show. How are you, mate? Very, very well, mate. Good evening. How are you doing? I'm, I'm all right, yeah. yeah. All the better for talking to you, I've got to be said. Um, oh, that's very kind, very kind. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> City, Exeter City now. Um, yep. Last couple of seasons, um, well, they've been playoffs, really, haven't they? Um, and, well, sort of. And playoff pushes for probably half a dozen seasons in a row now, isn't it? Um, and with that sort of level of, um, well, that, that, that level of, um, of, of sort of playing success comes an air of expectation. But what are the your thoughts and feelings for the last, well, last season in particular? How did lockdown affect City and expectations going into this season? Yeah, <clears throat> I think last season... Um was was disappointed and I think I think when the the, the season was curtailed by the, the the first lockdown um we were in pretty good shape um we we, we had an upcoming run of games um that, that that we fancied ourselves probably would have pushed us in um to the top three I think we've been in the top three most of the season um uh, we had a particularly big game away at Plymouth coming up and of course did sneak into that that third spot um and, and, and of course, if the season had just gone a little bit longer, maybe we'd have won that game and got in there ourselves. Um, so, so we were disappointed how it finished, considering we were we were top three um, pretty much the whole way through. Um, and then, of course, the playoffs. We, we we all know what happened in the playoffs. We all know what always happens in the playoffs when we play in the playoffs. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, which was um, y y you know a fantastic effort to get to Wembley. You know, a difficult game over two legs against Colchester. Um, uh, winning after extra time with a fantastic goal um, by Bowman, and, and 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 then unfortunately for not for the first time uh, we, we we didn't turn up to the final at Wembley and and and, and really got bullied out of it by uh, by Northampton. So yeah, um, it's a yeah. tough day, yeah. wasn't it? It was a tough day. 
Um, I, I couldn't quite believe what I was seeing, to be honest, Dave. I'm, I'm sure you watched the game. I'm sure you were the same. I think we probably had a chat um, during the course of that week, actually. You know, I, I felt like I knew what was coming from Northampton. You know, a lot of big boys, a lot of big, long balls, um, uh, a, a lot of strength. Um, and I, I just felt on the day, you know, we, we really, we, we looked like we didn't know what was going to be coming, which was a real shame. Yeah. Um, um, I, I think we were quite competitive against them in the league games. I can't remember the exact scores, but we certainly weren't tonked. Um, and we, we didn't play our game. We tried to match them for sort of bullying and physicality and, and we, we weren't as good as them at it. <laughs> and unfortunately, we're well beaten um, as a result. So hugely, hugely disappointing into the season when we've been so competitive throughout. And like I say, if, if it were not for lockdown, maybe we would have snuck into the top three. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so yeah, sad ending. Uh, I, I, I think our um, closed season has been really disappointing um, as far as I'm concerned. Um, we're uh, we, we're extremely well off financially for a Division Four team um, with with crowds our size, um, and I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about later the success we have in the transfer market. Um, mm -hmm. Well, it's success. I mean, it's, it's financial success. Obviously, from a playing perspective, it's it's not because we're losing our best players. Um, but you know, we made extremely good money off a, off a lot of players. Most recently, Ollie Watkins, who's has been the gift that keeps on giving. You know, we made a wedge off him when he went to Brentford. We made a, 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 a chunk of the wedge they made off him when he went to Villa, and we still make money every time he plays for England, which he did in the mm -hmm. run up to the into the to the Euros. So, um, we, we we have a lot of money. I, I think we went in to close season with an expectation that we were going to be signing some real top players for our league, um, and that hasn't really happened, unfortunately. I think. I, I think we've tried to. Um, I think we've we've we we pushed the boat out to try and get players who would be uh, sort of top tier players for Division Four, um, and for whatever reason they haven't wanted to, to to come and sign for us. We're on a bit of a geographical extremity down in Exeter, um, and, and and people haven't fancied it. And 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 we've done most of our business late in the window, which which always I know there's different schools of thought on on transfers, but to me that's a sign that. You know, maybe you're on your B or your C list of people you wanted to sign um, and, and you're signing them out of desperation in the run up to the season rather than being the, the your, your top targets um, yeah. that you really, really wanted. So, you know, for, for me, I, I feel like we're going into this season without sounding utterly negative. I feel like we're going into <laughs> into this season with with a worse team than we had last season. Um, um uh, there's a few good players in there. We made a few good signings. I think that we signed a keeper on loan off Sheffield Wednesday, who's played a lot of games in the Championship. Dawson. Um, and our first two games, we get two clean sheets, albeit they were both nil nils. So, you know, hopefully he'll turn into a good signing. I think the, the striker Nombe, we we fought off a little bit of competition for, um, but the rest of them, unfortunately, for for me anyway, and, and I desperately hope to be proven wrong. Uh, you know, the bulk of them are, are, are really journeymen. Um, sort of Division Four type players with a few youngsters um, sprinkled in who who may well come good. Um, you know, one of them from from Maidenhead, just up the road from you, of course. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, I'm yeah, sure so, mutual friend Neil uh, uh, sure has uh, filled you in on what he's like. Yes, he did give me a debrief. I, I, you know, the the 
uh, slight concern is apparently he wasn't Maidenhead's best player um, last season. <laughs> um, but we'll see. You know, there's not a huge gap um, in quality between um, between the conference and, and, and League Two. And, and, you know, I really hope he does well. It's the sort of profile of player. I love to see them do well, come out of non-league and, um, yeah. and go on and do well at a league club. Of course, Gareth McCleary, brilliant example of that. Um, he, he Absolutely, yes. Player. Very well very well known to myself, of course, yes. yourself. Being, yes. as you mentioned, from Bromley, um, yeah. who, of course, mentioned City. Um, Bromley is obviously your, um, well, I don't know whether they're first, first or second club or whether they, you, you look upon them as entirely um, sort of equal supportership, shall we say. Um, but, you know, might as well just touch on a little bit of Bromley as well. Um, yeah. Now, I remember last season, they, they sat Neil Smith towards the back end. Um, long-standing yeah. manager, Neil Smith, didn't they? Again, yes. another ex Reading link. Um, yeah. And... I've kind of lost a little bit of track after that. So who's the manager yeah. now? And again, what are the expectations going into this season? Because again, they're another team in the National League that have been pushing towards the yeah. playoffs every season, haven't they? Yes, I think I think Bromley, Bromley and Exeter are, are, are interesting sort of juxtapositions in that, um, you know, Exeter are, are, are looking to grow and, and develop organically. Uh, to your point, and in your preamble, by the way, I really agree with what you said. I think I think they're one of the best clubs in the country, albeit far from being one of the best teams in the country, but certainly one of the best <laughs> um, clubs in the country in terms of, of of how they're run. You know, it's very natural progression. Um, the 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 furtherment of the club is put ahead of the furtherment of the team, which I think is so important, particularly at our level where where income isn't isn't huge. Um, through TV money or gate receipts or whatever, but but I can Bromley... think of a number of clubs who could possibly do with taking a um, a good listen to that very statement. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. not a loaded comment much. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, but you know this is that's something that's that's been built over a number of the, a number of years. You know, when I was a kid, Crew did it. Um, you know, Exeter were very lucky that we, we we were very lucky that we almost went bust in that it kind of got to the stage where. There's no alternative. We've got to do this ourselves. Um, you know, we've got to make this work ourselves. And, and and from the trust taking over to us actually churning out saleable assets actually took a very, very long time. Um, and, and, and to commit, I, I get why in the con- current context of football and football fans, it's very difficult for a club to say, you know, we're going to we're going to adopt a model of um, youth development and, 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 and growing young players, but it means we're going to be mid-table in the conference for four years, which is what we were, right? We, we were not a good side in the conference for a long time when we were there. Um, but we forewent that um, in favour of, of building an academy, building a structure that could churn out players, and now we're reaping the benefits. But of course, other clubs now, take Swindon, for example, look, look a basket case, um, you know, they, they would do well to... to to, to adopt that approach and adopt that structure, but a Swindon fan's going to accept sitting in the middle of League Two for five years while they build up that infrastructure. No, they're not, um, and that's where it becomes quite challenging um, for for clubs, in my view, um, anyway. And, 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 and you know, going back to my original point, where the the difference between Exeter and Bromley is, Bromley have gone the other route. Really, you know, they've got a, a large walleted chairman. Um, you know, they're playing above their natural level with aspirations to go even higher. Um, I, I personally thought it was a little bit, um, they jumped the gun a little bit getting rid of Neil, um, who's, who, who, who did really well for Bromley, you know, assistant manager when they got through the Conference South, managed them to their top 
their highest ever finish until last season. Um, um, but this, you know, the, the, the owner wants to progress, wants to progress, wants to progress, wants to get to the Football League. And, you know, on the face of it, I think they were 10th or 11th when they sat Neil. You know, 10th or 11th in the conference for Bromley, you know, that doesn't feel like uh, feel like the sort of position you'd be in when you were sacking managers. Um, but they're extremely ambitious. The guys put a lot of money in and, and, and wanted to get in the playoffs. And, and to be fair, after they got rid of Neil, they did get in the playoffs. Um, albeit they, they they lost quite heavily at Cartlepool, obviously. Um, went up against Torquay in the final. Um, so, you know, different approaches. Um, Exit will always be my team. It's The, the approaches is uh, I can relate to a little bit more. I, I, I like uh, I like appreciating success a little bit more than just buying success, um, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, you, you know that 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 pleasure and that satisfaction you get out of a a young player developing from you know seeing 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 their debut where they look like little kids lost, which all debutants always do when they come through the youth system, to you know selling them on for many million pounds, um, you know which for us as a League Two club is huge. Um, you know, I, I, I prefer that rather than just give me the top scorer in the conference out of the packet and sign in them, which is kind of the sort of approach Bromley are taking. Yeah, um, yeah. To try to I think there's a, 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 I mean, again, I, mean, I, I entirely agree with what you say. And I, I know I'm supporting a, currently support a club that has taken a very different approach to what you've just described to the extent that, you know, Reading are, are now in um, quite a bit of a financial problem. Um, but there is a, an issue, really. I, I, well, I'll describe it as an issue. With you mentioned in there, quite a pertinent point about you know supporter expectations, um, wants and needs, and that desire, that absolute must for you know sort of uh, instant gratification. You know, you must win the next game, and you know, and and you know, at the very least, you know. You know, nobody wants to see their team go go down, of course, do they? But it's not necessarily a disaster if it, if that does happen. Um, do you think fans sometimes uh, they they completely overegg the expectation pudding? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think I think fans, um, everyone has an inflated view of of where their club and their team should be in the pyramid. Everyone tends to think that you know, they should be one league higher than they actually are, um, and I think people, I think fans as well, overlook oddities, obvious oddities, if it gets them to where they want to go. You know, if if um, if Bromley signed uh, uh, sort of marquee signing tomorrow, and from League One, and you were like, how the hell have they afforded him? People wouldn't ask that question if he was scoring goals every week and, and, and got them top of the league, right? They don't care because they're enjoying their Saturday afternoon and Saturday afternoons are much more fun when you're winning, right? So I think I, I think people, I think short-term gratification is a great, a great wording for it. You know, people, football fans don't look too far beyond next Saturday, right? Um, in terms of, you know, I want to go and have a few drinks and watch us win. Um, but actually... You need, as I said earlier, you know, sometimes investing in a few bad seasons, i.e. cutting your cloth, investing in stuff that makes you sustainable off the pitch. You know, at Exeter, we've spent a load of money on the training ground, for example. 
Um, they spent a load of money in this closed season on a big screen to drive advertising revenue. If you, if you have to forego a player to do that, but it makes sense in the long run, not all fans get it, I don't think. Um, uh, but I, I, I think it's incumbent on us to get it. Um, because otherwise, you know, yeah. you, you know, more and more teams are going to, it feels like there's a constant cycle of teams that are in this, create these massive holes for themselves that they then find very difficult to get out of because of that yeah. short-sightedness. Do you think, uh, again, this has been a recurring theme in, in, mm-hmm. in this uh, series of uh, episodes with clubs that have fallen on hard times. Do you think it's incumbent on supporters' trusts to grow um, sharp, not sharper teeth, I think that's probably the wrong way of yeah. putting it, but being a bit more uh, proactive with their questioning of um, uh, sort of club financial decisions at the very least. You know, for example, I'm going to use Reading as the example. Um, again, two years ago, 2019, the club were under a soft transfer embargo um, and didn't actually sign anybody in the, tra- in the 2019 summer transfer window until very late in August, about three games in. When we then ended up signing George Puskas, Luca Chow, Raphael Cabral, um, uh, Ovi Ajari, I think might have already signed, but um, a number of players on um, significant transfer fees and absolutely undoubtedly significant wages. Uh, and at that time, all the fan the fan base were were suddenly sort of lauding the owners. Yes, we managed to get yep, these exactly. players. It's you know, and I just feel. At the time, it made me at the time feel very uneasy, but not uneasy enough to question what was going on. Trust in the club, probably a bit too much. Do you think that the supporters' trusts need to be, um, uh, like I say, a bit more uh, proactive in their questioning of when a club does start demonstrating they've got some financial issues and that happens, they need to, yeah, I've used it once already, through their teeth. Yeah, I think I think there's a couple of bits actually, Dave. I don't, I don't think it's all on the supporters' trusts. I think I think absolutely, supporters have got to see the bigger picture, right, and ask difficult questions. A hundred percent. You know, to, to your point earlier, you, you you see Reading signing a load of players and who, on the face of it, look like they're going to be decent. You're licking your lips, thinking, "Oh, Saturday afternoon's going to be a bit more fun now because we've got five good players, or, or however many it is." Yeah, um, yeah. And, 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 and people do need to to ask the more difficult difficult questions. I I think it's more though for the the football league and the, and the football associations. Right, they're, you know, they're these are custodians of the game, and 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 they need to make sure they're overseeing an infrastructure where people are only and and FIFA even to an even bigger degree. They're overseeing an infrastructure that that doesn't allow um, clubs to make suicidal financial decisions or, or run suicidal um, wage bills. I think I think it's a as as much as I think supporters need to be aware and need to ask difficult questions. I I, I struggle to think it's it's down to them to regulate the clubs, right, <laughs> and to regulate. Oh no the no spend. no. I- Absolutely, yeah. yeah. In, terms, yeah, yeah. in terms of yeah, the the, the governance of the game, um, yeah. that you know, the, the domestic game clearly needs to be with well, obviously, with in, in England the FA. Um, yeah. and, and again, another point that I've made, and in, in previous podcasts, when it comes to owners, you know, sort of new owners, new directors, um, at the moment, it's incumbent on the Premier League, um, mm-hmm. the Football League, the National League, and all of the individual um, leagues to perform the owners and directors' tests. Yeah. Now, 
why is that incumbent on the leagues when to be you know uh, to be a football club in in England you need to be affiliated to the football association um, why is it not the FA's job to do that and cover everything my, my idea simply is that every single club pays into a a specific pot of money that is ring fenced for those circumstances where a club is taken over or proposed to be taken over. And then it's the FA's job to go into the owners and directors backgrounds. And every club pays into that a sum of money based on their, um, their standing and their, their position, their divisional status. Um, yeah. Is that something that you'd necessarily agree with? Yes. Other than I, I, having well, it down well, to the actual competition well, organizers, respectively. Yeah. Yes. And no, I mean, I, 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 I I guess what we don't want to create is a is a financial safety net that, that says to people, go and be reckless, and if it goes wrong, there's this pot of gold here to bail you out, right? I mean, oh no, 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 yeah. no. Let's make, make yeah. it clear. No, so the, the, the pot of money is simply there for um, the, the, the the well, in, in this instance, the idea instance for the FA to um, perform their checks and checks and balances oh, on sorry. prospective yeah. new owners. Oh, right. In, in that case, 100%. Yes, absolutely. Um, you, you, the, the, the checks need to be way more thorough than what's going on now. I, I, I don't know when they were introduced, but I, I've not noticed a step change, Dave, in the, in the number of clubs experiencing financial difficulties or or being owned by unscrupulous businessmen. I've not noticed a downward step change anytime recently um, as a result of any extra checks that have been put in. Um, so if, 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 if money solves the problem, then the game needs to find a way to get that money. A hundred percent agree. Um, the, the game needs to regulate itself in, 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 in so far as it can, in, in my view. What do you what do you think about you know said so the game needs to regulate itself but, uh, uh, moreover uh, the uh, well as the proposed independent regulator as put forward by the the fan led review I think Tracy Crouch's fan led review yeah yeah do you think I mean, it needs to be independent or I I mean it, 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 it depends I mean it, it, in terms of regulation of ownership structures and regulation of of the individuals who get involved in the game, I don't think that does need to be external necessarily. Um, I think that's something the game can do itself. You know, there's so much money in the game, Dave, right? And and, and let's be honest, it's in the, the teams who have got an awful lot of money's interest that there is a strong pyramid um, of 92 clubs. It, it's, it's in their interest to a, to a degree that they should be comfortable financing that or to some degree financing that i think where independent regulation would come in is in um things like tv deals and how they manifest themselves and how that trickles down to a supporter and how they muck about with fixtures and and and, and, and that sort of thing and the, yeah. the, the the power of external factors in the game and and that sort of thing but i think in as it comes to down to ownership um the, the game like i say there's enough money in the game day that we don't need to you know we don't need to be looking at the government or or independent regulators in my view um no we do, we know who's a good guy we know who's got enough money to run a football club this stuff all feels pretty <laughs> like these feel quite binary decisions that that, that need to be made and I, I i don't see the need for the expense yeah. of an external person to do that 
it's interesting you, you say that. I'm just going to just going to go off on a slight tangent here that we know who's got uh, who's got enough money to run a football club. Now I don't know if you've seen the the Al Jazeera investigations program that was aired uh, on Monday night initially. Um, now again, Reading were one of the clubs that were implicated in that with the with the the primary um, subject being a, a, a chap called Chris Samuelson, um, who um, essentially cleared a chap called Anton Zingarevich to, to is essentially front a uh, consortium called Ten Sports Investment. And it was Boris Zingarevich, Anton's dad, whose money it was that he, that he managed to clear Anton with. Um, now, bizarrely enough, even though there was never any publication of who was providing the funding, Reading fans knew, really, in their heart of hearts, Anton Zingarevich didn't have the money to run a football club. Yep. So, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, how, how shady and how secretive you, you need to be, uh, it appears. People will find out, won't they? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I still think football can regulate against that. You know, there's, it's, it's when you're talking big sums of money, people can hide money. People, people can make it look like they've got money they don't have and, and, and all sorts of things. But I, I still feel there's, there's stuff that, um, football can do from a regulatory perspective that can incubate them from some of that risk you know do, do you say okay Mr Zingarevich um you know you, you've provided all your documentation you've done your fit and proper person's test and now I'm going to require you know because you're buying a team in a championship I require a retainer of 20 million pounds or something you know something like that where you can independently hold some money to bail the, bail the club out if the worst happens within a certain time parameter, you know, I, I think there's more that the game can do than the tick box, um, the tick box satisfaction of rules that they're doing currently. Yeah. Anyway, move, moving on then, Tom. Um, yep. And then we'll get into the the, uh, the problems that Exeter are faced uh, more specifically a little bit later on. Um, but of course, there is a story to tell with you. Um, now, from what I can recall from our conversations, you're an Exeter fan, of course, um, yes. but you've never actually lived in Devon's Cathedral City, have you? Um, no, no. Um, Devon's administrative capital, I have not lived in. Um, uh, my dad's from Exeter um, and, uh, and, and moved to London, um, I think it was early 20s, possibly late teens. Um, and um, yeah, and, 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 and that's where I was born, but I was, I was very much um coerced that that would be that would be the team i followed um uh so so got into it relatively relatively young and um got introduced to city in um mainly in games in the southeast um the number of times i've seen us lose to cambridge lake orient barnet is uh in those early days is, is is quite frightening um but that was that was my introduction to city before i got a little bit older and, and, and started to go down there myself so that's is. Are we talking sort of late eighties, early nineties time? Are we? Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, I was born eighty two, so probably the time he started to take me was. Uh, I certainly went in eighty nine, ninety, which is the 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 only year I have ever won a league. Uh, we won Division Four, um, but but really, I I, I only started going semi regularly after that sort of ninety one, ninety two type time. That's good stuff. So, so your dad is obviously. Um, well, well, fairly clear you with you being coerced into supporting city as you as you as you as you put it um he was clearly a city fan um oh, yeah ab absolutely yeah 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 so 
I mean, early memories then. Um, I mean, you know, so clearly, I mean, getting from London to Exeter is fairly easy, but I can imagine uh, throughout your life, it's, it, well, it's not been a, a weekly rite of passage, presumably. No, no. I mean, it's easy, but it's long. <laughs> I mean, yes, it's a, yes. It's a, it's, a, it's a long way. And, and, and for me, where I am in Bromley, you know, you've got to get right across London as well, um, just to get the train, um, to the train down there. So, I mean, for me, really, the, the, the early memories aren't aren't going to Exeter. It's more the um, the local games, and, and and at that time, we were we were terrible, really. I mean, we were a terrible sort of retirement village of a club. Um, you know, we, <laughs> we, we 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 signed players nobody else wanted. Um, we um, or, or or people who were. Um, uh, uh, it's sort of on there, uh, uh, just about to retire, and and and, and like the West Country as a as an option to retire. Um, so we were always um, towards the bottom of the division. So my my main memories were very very difficult defeats. I can remember uh, Steve Butler for Cambridge scoring five against us in one game. I, I don't know what the end the final score was, but. If he got five, I imagine we didn't get six. So I, don't, I doubt we won that. <laughs> um, um, you know, I can remember that. I can remember going to Orient and, you know, it always being a tough time. And uh, uh, Barnet, even when they got into the league, you know, we we, we never did well there. Um, and, you know, going back to what you were saying earlier about City's ownership model, you know, it's allowed us to, to go from that. And, and relegation was the the culmination of, of being terrible over a number of years. I mean, obviously there's some mismanagement financially and stuff, but we, it, we were probably next on the list to go down and, and probably deserved it um, based on our um, performances over 15, 20 years before relegation. But, but really the club sort of falling on its ass to the degree it did has, has allowed us to rebuild something that actually, to your point earlier, is, 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 is a club to be proud of. You know, we're, even even when I get frustrated and annoyed and we're not doing well and we're losing games, you know, we're always competitive now. You know, we don't turn up to league games thinking, oh, we'll do well to keep this under three. <laughs> you know, those, <laughs> those those sorts of days. And that really was the um where we were at um when I was uh, when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. And I mean I, I can certainly recall I mean by and large, when the game when Reading when Reading played Exeter, by and large, Reading did tend to win. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there were some memorable times, weren't there? I mean, I, not not I don't I'm not entirely sure that whether or not you were there, but something that often comes up in conversation with us is a right back hat trick, really, isn't it? <laughs> yes, I wasn't at that. I mean, Exeter had two consecutive games: one one six four win, one six four defeat. Um, um consecutively in a week i wasn't i wasn't at those games yeah i mean i'm i'm painting a slightly miserable picture you know i was i wasn't going to um to all the games week in week out and ex have always famously had a very bad away record so since i was um i, I was brought up largely on away games it, 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 I, I wasn't seeing frequent wins in fact on that on that topic i think i think i'm right in saying that the, the year we won the league in 1989-90 we still had the worst away record in the country <laughs> um, even though we won the league, um, and, and, and that's an impressive home record. It's got to be. Yeah, I think from from memory, I think our home record was played twenty three, won twenty, drew three, um, and then we just picked up the odd point here and there away. Um, so, um, so like I say, I was brought up on a 
on a um, diet of away games where we where we always had a poor record. So that's that's probably what's what's created that dark picture in my mind. But but there's no there's no hiding from the fact you know we you know when I was a kid we finished twenty fourth in 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 what is now League Two. Um, we were always there and thereabouts. I remember you know little mention to Ian East. I remember my dad saying to me when I was a kid. I can remember it very well actually. We were at Peterborough. And he said, he said, I don't get why we have a rivalry with Torquay. He's like, the best thing about them is we know that for as long as they're around, we'll never be 24th in League Two, right? And that's when there was only <laughs> there was only one relegation spot. Um, he's like, they they will always finish below us. Um, and I think it was us, Torquay and Hartlepool, always the perennial terrible sides um, at that time. And of course, we all <laughs> ended up drinking our medicine in the conference eventually. Of course, yeah. I mean, it's interesting though that you, that you say that about about uh, um, Torquay. Uh, yeah. They're not. I mean, they're not obviously uh, ever uh, Exeter's uh, biggest rivals uh, down yeah. there. Clearly, Plymouth uh, are, the, are, the, are, the, are the team to beat, probably for both Torquay and and Exeter. Um, but is, I mean, what what is that? Is is that really a genuine three way rivalry, or or um, for for most fans, or is it um, just you know Torquay uh, just happened to be there and there? I mean, I like to describe Reading as the the, the annoying cousins of um, the the Swindon Oxford Reading sort of triangle. Yeah. Um, and uh, another one who well that that was actually introduced to me by by the Leicester fan that I had on here, Ewan, who yeah. who, who described Leicester as the annoying cousins to the. Um, uh, Derby Forest, uh, uh, yeah, uh, sort of, again, that, that triangle is a talkie in, in that bracket for you, or is it a genuine rivalry? That's a great question. I, I you know, what I've, I've personally always quite liked talkie, um, and uh, and I've always personally quite disliked Plymouth, so there's certainly a very different, um, a different dynamic between them. I, you know, I. I, I, I don't know any city city fans who, who dislike Torquay to any any great degree. I we, I I you know I, I watched Hartlepool Torquay in the playoff final and I was desperate for Torquay to win. I've got far more, you know, we've got far more in common in Exeter or even in London with with Torquay down in the south than we do with Hartlepool right up north. Um, so you know I, I I wanted them to win. I think most city fans I know wanted them to win. Um, so, so, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. It, certainly, when we're in the same league as them, Dave, you know, then it, it, it's nice when we beat them. And, and when we were in the conference, oh, yeah. and, oh. um, you know, we were both, we, you know, we were two of the better teams in the conference at the time. And especially when Torquay got a little bit of money, and you know, they took our assistant manager Paul Buckles to be their manager, signed two or three of our players, and 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 that sort of created a little bit of rivalry. But I think that was more, you know, that would have been the same if they were any club. Um, it was just because they were a rival to get, you know, those elusive, um, one of those elusive two promotion spots that we were desperate for at the time, um, yeah. more than it was because they were up the road. Um, so, 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 yeah, I think in answer to your question, I don't, I don't know anyone that particularly, particularly dislikes them. I personally like them quite a lot, actually. I think it's a great club, lovely ground, nice people, um, and, and and genuinely hope they go up this season. Although, unfortunately, yeah. I don't think, I don't think they will. Look at us no, think... <laughs> in the invest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ian, Ian certainly feels the same way. Uh, yeah. With uh, is it Stockport, Wrexham? Uh, there's a couple of others Chess, that you mentioned. Chess, but, yeah. Chess, Chesterfield, Chesterfield, yeah. Jack, Czech, yeah. Well, they, I saw they outbid a, 
Bolton for a player today, Chesterfield. So, um, yeah, so there's, yeah, I, I, I worry for teams like Torquay, um, really in that division, that conference is, you know, Exeter got out of it at the right time. I, I've, I've said before, if we didn't get out of it the year we did, I, I, I wouldn't mind betting we'd still be in it now. It's a tough, tough league. That's an interesting uh, quandary, really. Uh, just, again, another tangent here. We've got the four teams that we've, we've mentioned in the National League who are, you know, splashing the cash. There are only two promotion places. And, of course, one of those teams, um, pre- presuming it's one of those teams that gets promoted uh, at the very top, that leaves three of those teams in the playoffs. And we all know what playoffs are like. They're very much a lottery, aren't they? And well, if those teams three, continue... Yeah, I mean it's more than three there, though, isn't it? I mean they have that they have that extra playoff zone. Um, yes. So even even if one of them has a bad season and finishes seventh or whatever, they still get hoovered up in the playoffs anyway, which makes it even more hard for a for a Bromley or a Torquay with a more modest budget because they, you know, you're you're hoovering up these teams who who actually haven't been as competitive as they might have been during the season. Wrexham is another those one. Teams, Wrexham's another yeah. one, though, right? Yeah, yeah. If one of those teams, though, or, or two or three of those teams end up, you know, splashing the cash but still not getting promoted um, within sort of two to three years, those players that are under the contracts there aren't necessarily going to well, presumably sign a new deal because they're going to want to get out of the National League. Um, and who's to say that they're not going to end up in financial trouble um, again? I mean, we all know that the issues that Stockport have had. Yeah. Um, and you know, Chesterfield have clearly had their own issue, issues recently. Um, yeah. Wrexham have, have had their issues. You know, all, all of the clubs have had their issues um, down there. And it, I suppose in some ways it just ties into the what we were discussing earlier about, you know, again, fans aren't necessarily the be-all and end-all when it comes to this, uh, uh, it comes to the, 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 the governance of what the club's doing. Um but are they there are are they falling into the trap? Do you think maybe of instant gratification again? A hundred percent, yeah, absolutely. And they're, and they're more likely to fail at that level because success is is so much more narrow because there's only two promotion spots. So to your point, you know, Wrexham are owned by maybe the the actor guy, um, and they signed the the top scorer in League Two last season, right? Who could have walked into Paul, any Paul league Mullen. Yeah, that's the guy. Could have walked into any League One club, maybe some of the bad championship clubs, but he's chosen to go to Wrexham, right? Very, on the face of it, looks like a very strange choice. The guy, Kabongo Chimanga, um, from Boreham Wood, has chosen to go to Chesterfield rather than Bolton. Um, you know, the, these people are, are splashing their cash, but there's only room for two to go up. And so if, if only two are going up, the, the the margin for for failure is is huge if they're all splashing the cash like that. So yeah, I, I, four I into two doesn't go. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and and it's it, 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 it it's scary really. And and I mean, you overlay, of course, the, the the great thing about the conference is that there's always one random team who do really well, like Sutton last year, right? No one, no mm-hmm. one saw Sutton going up. So there'll be one of those next year. You know, maybe it'll be Bromley. That'd be fantastic. Um, and then that makes it even more narrow. And so it's, um, yeah, I, th- I, 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 I totally agree with you. I think keeping a, keeping a lid on it and building a sustainable club is so is so important at that level. But again, is a Chesterfield fan going to swallow them appointing Paul Tisdale and 
a director of football and saying for five years I'm building a youth infrastructure um, so I can churn out players for a load of money in 2028, right? Or, and this, or yeah, and that's exactly what he did at Exeter, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's, exactly. But no one's going to swallow that um, if you're a big fish in a small pond like Chesterfield are in that league or like Wrexham are in that league. So very, very challenging. They've got they 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 obviously feel like they've got to throw money at it. The fans aren't going to ask questions for as long as they're getting these sort of Galactico type signings for that level. Um, and and yeah, it's, it's certainly going to create a problem for at least one of the teams we've mentioned um, in the coming years because they can't all go up. And by the way, if you go up from the conference to Division League Two, is there a huge increment in revenue that you're going to make there? Possibly not. I, I don't think it's I don't think it's night and day in terms of the money you're going to be making um from conference to league two so the rewards are still delayed you know the rewards come when you get into the league ones when you've got slightly bigger clubs and you, you'll then start to realize bigger crowds so it's a it's a slightly longer game if you're in the conference in terms of getting your return on your investment mm-hmm. yeah yeah and um, <laughs> i think i think what was what, what certainly from my perspective it's looking in, increasingly like they're, they're not being particularly sensible with what's going on at their respective football clubs. But I suppose at the end of the day, the proof is in the pudding. And if the, if in two years they're in League One, then you know, they'll you know, instinctively argue, well, actually, no, it was it was a, a gamble that paid off. So 100%. Um, but that's like that's like the guy in the casino, right? Who um, the one guy who sticks five grand on black will tell you it's brilliant when black rolls in, but the guy who stuck five grand on red and it doesn't come in will tell you the opposite, right? So that's what gambling is. Um, there's as yeah. many winners as there are losers. So and, and you feel like you've been a you've, you've made brilliant choices if you win, but other interesting. Nobody lost. ever puts any money on green, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Let's just get back on uh, onto onto the, the sort of the city trail, as it were. Um, I mean, uh, as you allude to, the the results and the sort of league positions weren't what you'd call fantastic from the very start, um, and ultimately that's you know it's culminated in in a in relegation to um, what was Division Three at the time. I think that was in '95, if I remember rightly, um, uh... and then sort of bumbling around in. In um, in Division Three until until well um, as you as you described the inevitable happened um, yeah. I think it was 2003 I think it was wasn't it um, yes it was yeah when City went down to well dropped out of the football league yes to the conference yeah you know as as we talked about earlier I think it's very much a case that relegation at the time felt miserable I went to the game um, it felt miserable but with 2020 hindsight you say you know it's darkest before dawn as they say and you know say the miracle happened and and Swansea went down rather than us I mean it's ridiculous to think you know in in recent history it was between us and Swansea to get relegated of course it was yeah Yeah. of course been in the Premier League subsequently but say that happened would we be in such a strong position that we are now you know my my personal feeling is it was delaying the inevitable we we were going to get relegated eventually um, and actually, we needed that to, to sort ourselves out and get ourselves organised and actually um, build some kind of identity um, that we could exist off the back of. Um, so I, I think we'll possibly look back and say that was the best thing that could have happened to us at the time. Um, 
because that's what triggered the change in ownership. That's what triggered the change in direction, triggered the change in approach, um, triggered a, a wonderful, absolutely wonderful um, succession of managers that we've had subsequent um, to us being in the conference with Dolan, Inglethorpe, Tisdale. Um, you know, we've had a wonderful succession of managers. Again, profiles of manager we probably wouldn't have gone for if we'd stayed in the league, um, but have changed the whole personality of the team and the club. Um, so I, I, I think as much as it was a bad day, and like I say, I remember it well, um, it was the last day that old uh, Russell and Lewis tried to take us, well, allegedly, I should probably say on a podcast, tried to take as much money um, as they could out the club, you know, cash only gate, um, oversold the ground, season ticket holders couldn't get in because it was full, you know, a crazy, crazy, crazy day. Um, City fans in the away end. Um, and like I said, full time, it, it, it felt it felt sad. But I think we'll look back on it fondly and say that was that that was the day it turned around. Yeah. But uh, I mean, you mentioned the ownership at the time. And again, one of the one of the names, I mean, there were, there were two guys, two guys involved. One of the names will be familiar to my Reading followers. Hopefully, if you know anything about the history of Reading Football Club in uh, in Mike Lewis. Um, yeah. Now. He, yeah, there were. If you look back, and again, this is entirely, you know, uh, uh, sort of, uh, it's not even an allegation. Uh, I suppose it's 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 anecdotal evidence. I suppose you could call it. Um, there were clearly times when a gate was given at Elm Park that was significantly lower than what was visible in the ground. Shall we say? Yep. Um, and that's essentially what was happening, or one of the things that was allegedly happening, shall we say, uh, at, at Exeter, isn't it? Yeah, there was there was all manner of nonsense going on. I mean, it was it was a it was a crazy situation. You know, if I look back on that season, at the beginning of that season, we I think we won the favourites to go up, believe it or not. You know, we'd signed again. You know, talk about that that we were talking about earlier about how people don't ask questions if 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 owners are. Assigning the sorts of players you want them to sign. You know, I think we signed Don Goodman that year. Um, we signed Lee Sharp. You know, players who certainly shouldn't be involved at the bottom of <laughs> Division Four, right? I wasn't Kevin aware Miller. that you did that, Lee Sharp. I knew I knew he signed for Man United from Torquay, but I didn't oh, realize no, he no, no, there no. as well. Yeah, in the relegation year, um, um, we had Kevin Miller in goals. You know, Scott Hiley. You know, you know, players who really good profile for for the bottom league. Um, but it was just it, it, awful, awful, awful um, leadership and management, you know, the nonsense with Yuri Geller, um, sort of knocking about. Um, Michael Jackson, of course, went to Exeter that year. Um, Paraded around the pitch, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yeah, my brother was there. What do you think was going uh, through his mind at that point? Um... Uh, I, I, God knows, God, I, I don't know what was going through. My, I, I, I don't know what was going through Michael Jackson's mind at any time, to be honest, based on what I know about Michael Jackson. But um, yeah, I mean, God only knows. But it was, you know, it was a complete circus. There was obviously financial impropriety going on. I think, I think what what really caused the um, 
that caused the dominoes to fall to get those guys to move on was it was a charity event at Exeter. It may even have been the Michael Jackson thing, you know, I can't remember, but there was there was some kind of charity event and the charity never realised the money. You know, the club or, or more specifically Russell and Lewis at the time just trousered the cash from this charity event, which is, you know, never a good look. Um, um, which kind of caused people to start asking questions and start looking into it and caused all the dominoes to fall and and for those guys ultimately to get um, uh, arrested. Um, so yeah, like I say, I, I, I don't actually look back on this with any great like sadness or anything. You know, I, I honestly think this is, this is just part of the journey that enabled us to be the club now that's selling players for a million quid, two million quid, three million quid, which, you know, if you told me when I was stood there in the freezing cold at Barnet watching us be absolutely hopeless, um, when I was a kid, I would never have believed would have come. And there were five years in the in the National League. Well, there was a conference as it was, weren't there? Yes. Uh, so the ownership change, uh, change in uh, well, in in in, in outlook uh, with regard to the club, and yeah, it took a little while to, to come to come good, didn't it? But um, eventually, it did. Yeah, I, I, it didn't feel like that at the time, Dave, because, you know, we'd had all that all that hardship and struggling. And, you know, I'm, I'm actually just looking at a page on the Internet now. You know, if you look at us from 94, 95, right, in third, what was then the third division, we finished 22nd, 14th, 22nd, 15th, 12th, 21st, 19th, 16th and 23rd before ultimately going down. And actually, mm-hmm. you know, we've gone down into the conference and it was it was hard. But we, even when we were mid-table or playoffs or lower playoffs, we were, we were winning more than we were losing. And, um, yeah, we were playing some dross and we were going to some seriously miserable grounds um, to watch us play. But we were competitive and we were a big fish in a small pond. You know, but remember, this is before the conference got ultra, ultra competitive. Um, yeah. Before You know, now it's got four, five, six ex-league clubs in it. At the time, you were talking about maybe two or three. Um, so we were always one of the better teams in the division. We were always competitive. We were always towards the top of the league. So I, I would and never call it. I'd never call it a tough time. No, sure, okay. And uh, but, but that, that is partly because the majority of the division back then was still, you know, let's say the majority, probably fifty percent of the division back then was still uh, wholly part time, if not 100%. more than fifty percent. Whereas 100%. now. The ma- the yeah. vast majority of the division is full time, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. You know, if I look, you know, I go and watch, as you know, I go and watch Bromley regularly. The current Bromley team would beat the Exeter team that got promoted out of the conference mm-hmm. by three or four goals. <laughs> um, you, you know, they, the, the the league has progressed extraordinarily um, since Exeter got out of it. And as you say, there was it was there was some real, real bad teams. Um, in that division at the time, you know, turn up with a couple of fat guys and, 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 and all sorts. Um, so, you know, it's a very different league then to what it is now. But, I, I you know, and maybe I look back at it fondly because it was at a time when I was starting to go super regularly um, and, and, and had the freedom to be able to go to a awful lot of games. But it was it was an enjoyable time in that division. But we were ready to go up when we when we did. And as I say, I'd Looking back and looking at the league now, I'm really pleased we did get out of the division when we did. It was a, quite a way to get out of the division as well, because in that playoff campaign in 2008, um, well, you were 
I think, probably about 10 minutes away from actually going out of the playoffs in the semi-final, weren't you? And then it was just a ridiculous last 10 minutes against Torquay, yeah, was it not? It was, yeah. I think we were 3-1 down on aggregate with not very much to go. And, um, uh, yeah, we just we just managed to get a, a foothold back in the game. We had a player at the time, Rob Edwards, um, still one of my favourite ever Exeter players. And, you know, it's, it's one of those games which we've all seen as football fans where, I think a lot of the team had probably gone. Oh shit! This has happened again. You know, we, we you know, we're gonna, we're, we're not gonna make it this time. And but he single-handedly kind of, you could almost see him saying, "Well, I'm gonna make sure we win the game." <laughs> um, and single-handedly, <laughs> you, you know, there was one stage where we, I think, where we pulled our first goal back. He, he ran with the ball from sixty yards out, just fed it in, simple pass to other player, got it back, simple pass to the player, got it back, simple pass to another player, got it back. We went forward, scored a goal, and that completely changed the tone of the game. And that's why Rob Ed was always be my favourite player because he he completely, completely turned that game from a certain defeat to, um, to, uh, yeah, a brilliant, brilliant outcome for us. Yeah, as I say, you were you were three one down with half yeah. an hour of the second leg to go, and I scored four in the last twenty minutes. I think it was. Um, and yes. then, you know, Wembley, you'd lost the the previous season in the playoff final to Morecambe, hadn't you? Yes, um, yes, which we do most years now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. you have had at least one success at Wembley in a course in 2008. <laughs> yes, that, that, that was a great day. And the, the, it, it, it was a weird one, that one. You know, we'd, we'd, we'd been to the Morecambe game. Did you come to the Morecambe game with us, Dave? I can't remember. I know a few of the last I didn't, no, came. no. No. Um, but we went we went to the Morecambe game and it was Wembley had just opened and it was a big sort of party thing. I think we'd we'd sold in inverted commas like thirty six thousand tickets or something ridiculous. But it was it's clearly sort of day trippers coming along to have a look at the new stadium. Um, but it was all very sort of most of Devon, isn't it? <laughs> thirty six thousand people. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it all the farmers thing. driving up in their tractors. <laughs> Oh, a bit, bit, bit close to the bonehead. <laughs> um, um, but no, I mean we'd gone, but it was it was a party atmosphere, right? Everyone's there, and it was a day out. Um, and we ended up, you know, we took the lead in that game. We ended up losing the game, but the, the, I think it was great that we got back the following year because we t- it, it just felt like we meant business a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there was less partying going on. The there were far fewer of our fans there, which I think worked to our advantage. Um, and it was like, yeah, we mean business. Uh, this isn't a day out. We're here to win the game. Um, and actually, we were quite businesslike in that game and, and, and deservedly won um, uh, against Cambridge. Who are a great guy. I really like Cambridge. And, you know, I'm pleased they're doing well now. And they, they got up eventually. But it was our turn. Um, and, yeah, it was a fantastic day. But since, um, since that day, um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's been, it's been a good at the very least, a good, solid, well, 14 years now, isn't it? Uh, 15 years coming up to um, yeah. in the Football League with with um, that sort of, was it a three-year sojourn in League One in which yep. the, uh, you equaled your highest ever ever finished, didn't you, at, uh, at eighth? And on another season, I don't see any reason why City couldn't have got into the playoffs in League One that year. Yeah, well, when you, when you... When you're eighth, absolutely, you're only you're only one or two results away from from sneaking in, aren't you? Um, and we were a good team at that time. Um, that had a lot of good players: uh, Jamie Curitan, uh, Ryan Harley, George Friend, 
Um, you know, loads of players. Um, Curtin had done a lot better than us, but a lot of the other players went on to do a lot better than than where they were playing at the time. Scott Goldborn. Um, you know, loads of loads of very very good players. But the the, the sad thing, of course, was after that season, uh, a lot of them were out of contract and and and, and moved on, and, and and we couldn't replace them, and unfortunately, um, plummeted down and. And, and and got relegated, but you know I think I think the, the the goal for the club now really is to is to build a an infrastructure that that can see us hold our own in League One. You know you you described it as a social one now. You know it doesn't need to be a social one. There's there's lots of no sm, there's lots of smaller clubs than us um, or clubs um, who who on the face of it look look don't look as as good a club as we are. Who are very have been very established at that level, and there's no reason why we can't be. We just need to. The the, the weird thing, of course, Dave, is we. I think we've got the difficult bit right, which is the the infrastructure, the 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 bit that the the easier bit, or the relatively speaking easier bit of getting a team that can get promoted. <laughs> we find very difficult. <laughs> it's in, it's uh, interesting. You mentioned earlier. Sorry, just going just going back a little bit, and I'm mm. and I'm going to pick on this point now while it's in my in my mind. Um, of course, that day that you went down to the conference, uh, it was between yourself and Swansea. Yep. Of course, Swansea got themselves a new stadium eventually, that survived that day, got themselves a new stadium. And, and I've had a, well, a very successful stint in the Premier League and are now an established championship club. And, you know, a couple of years prior to that, I think, um, there was the, the epic relegation battle between um, Hereford and Brighton. Of course, Brighton yep. survived that. Got themselves yep. a new stadium eventually after a lot of trouble with you know um, with, with the Goldstone and whatnot, um, and and again of uh, well they're now you could argue they're an established Premier League club for the time being. Um, yep. Is there any anything really stopping Exeter from doing that? I, I don't. I don't I, I, well, uh, I don't think there's anyone anything stopping anyone building a good team and, and moving through the leagues. You know, Blackpool, great example, a club that's got absolutely no business in its current state in the Premier League, um, got themselves up there. Swindon got up into the Premier League not long ago. But they did it by, you know, the wind blowing in in, in the right direction in terms of their team building, the, the team they were able to put together and, and a good manager. What they haven't been able to do is build a build a club that can then sustain it, right? And that's where Brighton have done brilliantly, and Swansea have done brilliantly, and Cardiff have done brilliantly. You know, all teams that have been in Division Four um, in my lifetime, they've actually built clubs that can then go and support that higher level. And I think the the, the question for Exeter, and we 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 talk about a lot of the time, is, you know, can this ownership model support a club in the Championship? You know, I, I, I don't, in my lifetime, I could see us getting lucky and getting a team that gets us there for a season. But mm-hmm. can we can we build a, a club? Like, sort of Colchester did, I suppose, a few exactly. years ago. Exactly, Colchester, Walsall, you know, loads of teams have done it. But but could can we build a club that can go toe-to-toe with Reading every week, that can go toe-to-toe with those sort of perennial championship clubs? Um, and, and, and can we become one of them? And I think under you know the question we always ask ourselves as 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 fans after a few drinks after on our way back from the the latest miserable defeat is um, 
you know, can our ownership model support us doing that? Um, and, and, and I think there's, there's questions there because the, it, the, we, we can't maintain this conveyor belt of talent all going for seven figures all the time, right? I mean, we've had an extraordinarily purple patch um, that's enabled us to keep moving players on, keep moving players on and, and, and invest the money into the playing budget. But what happens the year we don't sell someone for a million quid? You know, then then the club goes back to operating at a loss like everyone else in League Two. Then where does the money come from to pay for that loss? Um, you know, it's 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 how do we build an infrastructure where we're not reliant on player sales to be profitable, even at our level now? You know, if you then talk about how do we get to, to be consistently in League One or perennially in the championship, you know, that that model and that infrastructure needs to be so much better than it needs to be just for us to be uh, in League Two, which we haven't achieved yet. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling a bit, but I, uh, I, I kind of think, I think in answer to your question, the answer is no, because I don't, I don't think our ownership model as it stands can support us being consistently at that level. I think we could get a good team. I think we could get a good bunch of young players that could get us through for a, for a season, maybe two seasons, but actually to stay there and establish ourselves there I think it's going to be hard with our um, ownership model. Yeah, and the ownership model. And then, of course, you've got the income streams as well, I suppose, um, which you know, City don't, they don't have the, the, the biggest of crowds. I think, what is it? They average about 4,000, 5,000 a game. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean we, we, we could get anything between 2,500 and, and, and 7,000, depending the weather, who we're playing, <laughs> what day of the week it is. <laughs> um, you know, it could be, yeah, it could be anything between. Yeah, but so the income streams, you know, comes comes the opportunity then to to you know to to build a club even more, doesn't it? But I say at the moment with the with the with the facilities and it's quite hemmed in, isn't it, St James's Park? Yeah. Um, it, there's not a, a huge amount of of opportunity for development there. Um, yeah. So is this is this you know possibly a case of well, we're going to need to look for help from from someone like the local council to you know, to assist us and, and and maybe local benefactors, local investors, to help yes. us build this uh, build a new stadium. I, I don't know if it's necessary. I don't know if it's necessarily stadium. Albeit, I take your point that I don't think we could be an established championship club in the stadium we've got. Um, I, I I think it's more, you know, how do we invest to to get money in outside of player sales? You know. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier, we, we've invested a hundred grand or something in a big screen, you know, which will enable us to sell marketing, which will become a revenue mm -hmm. stream. Um, you know, we've got the, the, the screens around the edge of the pitch, which are very expensive. I know that that's routine at, at the championship level, but that's quite unusual at our level. But that gives us another opportunity to make money. Um, we've invested in trying to uh, improve facilities so we can improve the academy, which will then make our when we sell young players, it will make them more, um, uh, more valuable. Um, what category in, academy of city got at the moment? Uh, three. So I think we're investing right. now to get it to two. Um, so all these things, these are investments that make us more sustainable because ultimately, you know, we're in a, we're in a position now where if we didn't have player sales, we lose money and that's in division four. So that, that infrastructure can't support us one division up or two divisions up. And that's what we need to sort do think, out. Do you think I'll, Ultimately, it might be viable to, uh, you, you say you're going on for a Category 2 academy. This is, of course, relating to 
ETPP ratings, Elite Player Performance Plan ratings, yeah. which, of course, has affected City as well. And we'll get into that in a second with um, Ethan Ampadu. Um, but is there, do you think there's a possibility that getting to um, stealing a march on, on Plymouth, uh, for example, uh, with their academy uh, and getting to a Category 1 academy? I mean, can, can a, a, a League 2 club actually sustain a League 1, uh, a Category 1 academy, for example? For a start. Well, yeah, I mean, firstly, just to pick you up on one thing, I think we've already stolen a march on Plymouth's Academy. Like, the, our academy's already way better than theirs. Um, mm-hmm. Irrespective of, of grading, I don't know what the, I don't know what their category of academy is. But I think there's, there's an awful lot of examples of good players, um, good young players, good kids, who, who signed for us rather than Plymouth, also rather than the Bristol clubs, because there's a pathway for them to play first-team football um, at Exeter, which just doesn't exist anywhere else. So I think we've already stolen a march on them. I think that's already uh, a sort of unique selling point for us. Um, and, and we already punch above our weight in terms of the talent we can attract in the academy. The, the grading for me is more about, and, and you alluded to it, the, the Ampadu situation where our compensation was attached not to the player and how good the player was, but to how good our facilities were. Um, which just makes no sense at all. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, we had our pants pulled down to a, to an embarrassing degree. You know, I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was only six figures we got for Ampadu, who'd, I think, played approaching 10 or 15 first-team games for us age 16, and Chelsea could have sold him immediately upon signing him for 10 million quid. Um, and he'd already been called up by the Wales national squad as well, hadn't he, at that point? Abso- absolutely. Yes, he had. So, you, you, you know, the, the system is very much rigged against smaller teams um, in that situation. It, it, it's, it's, it's very uncomfortable when you, when you look at it like that because, you, you know, you see Palace just sold a player, sorry, Chelsea just sold a player to Palace who had never played a first-team game for 30 million quid or something, you know. So it, it, are we saying sitting in Chelsea's reserves makes you worth 30 million quid? So... And produce worth thirty million quid, and they gave us quarter of a million. It's it's it it's it it's it's not a good look, I don't think, for football as a whole. Yeah. That the 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 big teams can pickpocket the small teams like that. I think it's a very and this was and, and this particular uh, instance with Ethan Ampadu was uh, it wasn't so long ago. It was about four years ago, wasn't it? Something like that. Yep. Yes. So you know we're still talking in the you know we're talking in today's age of of hyperinflated transfer fees. Um, and yet, you know, when a club has got an asset as good as Ethan Ampadu, um, and simply, like I say, because of because of the circumstances as academy are in, rather than the uh, the potential, you know, clubs not playing for the are paying for the potential of the player, are they? Um, and it, it was the low six figures. It was, as you say, about yeah. quarter of a million pound from from memory. Yeah, um, which is, you know, like you say, it, it it doesn't it sticks in the craw a little bit. For, uh, exactly. For, for clubs. Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong. I think I think if they do sell him, I think we'll do well out of that. I think I think they, the the tribunal gave us a very healthy sell on. But you know that that shouldn't be dependent on that. You know we developed someone who age sixteen was good enough to play first team football for us, um, and we should be compensated for that in real time. You know it shouldn't be dependent on what he then does. When he gets that, he could go there and break both his legs. Do you know what I mean? And and, and, mm-hmm. and never play again. That doesn't change the fact we've developed him into a, a brilliant young player. 
Um, so yeah, it does. It it doesn't sit comfortably, and it and it the system does feel a little bit rigged against you know teams like us who are trying to do the right thing the right way um, and churn out good players. That 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 we can just be pickpocketed like that is very uncomfortable. So clearly, I mean, just just drift, drifting back a bit, then um, Tom the. We, we, we've touched upon the ownership issues with uh, which led to the Michael Jackson Uri Gala Circus. Um, and we've spoken and mentioned that the club is entirely fan-owned now. Um, we've spoken about Paul Tisdale and you know, how it took five years to sort of put the infrastructure in place. Um, but that's all got to start from somewhere, really, hasn't it? Um, yeah. And, you know, there's... Clearly, well, I think that what do they say at Wolves? Out of darkness cometh light, and yeah. so, so what? What kind of? Uh, what, what, how? How did the, the sort of the restructuring of the club, shall we say, after the Mike Lewis era come about? Yeah, well, I mean, I I, I remember the time well, um, um, going down into the conference, and I can remember I remember seeing an interview with Eamon Dolan at the time, and. Um, and, and and at the time, you know, Exeter fans were being very miserable about being non-league for the first time in our history. And I remember Eamon saying, you know, what's everyone moaning about being in the conference? We, we're lucky they took us. <laughs> you know, we were in we were in such a mess um, financially and such a mess off the pitch. Um, you know that we, that we should have been grateful that any league would have us um, mm-hmm. at the time. So so although we 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 went down and. Um, and the trust ownership um, came about. You know that wasn't that wasn't flicking a switch for us to go from being basket cases to being competitive. We we were still a club. I think I think we went down with in excess of five million pounds worth of debt. Um, we still had to do a CVA, and we paid off very very little of that debt. Um, but the thing that really sort of catapulted us um, to to be in. Uh, a, a, a sufficient, self-sufficient club was um, was of course drawing Man United away in the cup. So we were um, um, I can't remember who we played in the first round, but I, I can certainly remember we played Doncaster in the second round, who at the time were were a league above us, and, and, and Dean Moxie scored a, a wonderful goal to get us into the hat for the for the third round. Um, and, and 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 you know we were lucky enough to draw. To draw Man United away, um, which was extraordinary luck. Really, we were probably due it um, after the um, after the years we've had had preceding that. But um, yeah, extraordinary luck. Absolutely, what we needed. And, and I can remember at the time, you know, the the discussion was, you know, we've gone from a club um, in massive debt to being a club with no money. Right, so we've gone from <laughs> gone from um, you know having a, a massively negative bank balance um, to a club with a zero bank balance, but that that enabled us to um, to you know gave us a starting point, it gave us something to 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 build on. Otherwise, you know, we would have been chasing our tail for a few seasons in paying off that debt that was there. Um, yeah. So you know, in, in extremely fortunate for us under Alex Inglethorpe, Dolan had, had, had gone to, to to Reading at that time. Um, so you, you know, extremely fortunate for us and gave us something to build on. And 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 from there, I'd like to think we haven't really looked back. We, we've certainly progressed 
he, he, he maybe not necessarily in league positions, but certainly as a club, we've progressed year on year from that point. It was a very, uh, let's put it, un- understatedly useful draw, wasn't it? Um, and literally, uh, Old Trafford as well, it yeah. was a draw, wasn't it? But it was, I mean, it, honestly, Dave, it was a perfect storm entirely in our favour for once. You know, we went there, um, they put out an extremely young side, you know, and it was at the time when the Man United youth system wasn't quite as fruitful as it, as it, as it was at other times. So they were they were actually pretty bad. We probably should have won the game. But the um, it was made more extraordinary by the fact that I, I think they, they, they had a European game the subsequent Tuesday or Wednesday. And they you could only get a ticket for that European game if you'd been to the Exeter game. So it was a sellout. There were 75,000 there. Um, as I say, they put out an extremely young side. Um, and I, I don't want to say we clung on for nil nil because I think it was quite a comfortable nil nil. We'd, we'd edged the game. They brought on Ronaldo towards the end, and, and things got a little bit um, sort of heart in mouth. He had a chance towards the end, um, but yeah, it was pretty comfortable. And then, of course, then you got a, you've got another another chance to bank a few quid um, when they come back to ours. Um, although, funny story at the time was, uh, I, I think the the proximity of the replay to the home game meant we had to do all the organization for the replay in advance of it even being a draw. Right. Um, so we'd, we'd done all our planning and um, I think we'd set the, uh, obviously assuming that we were going to get beaten at Man United. So we hadn't even given any thought to ticket prices or anything like that. We'd just <laughs> done what we had to do. So um, when the replay actually came about, we, we, we'd done the deal and printed all the tickets. I think it was 12 quid or something. We hadn't, we hadn't put the prices up or anything, just charged for Exeter Man United exactly what we would have done for Exeter Canby Island that same season. So we didn't even cash in. <laughs> um, we didn't even cash in fully to the extent we might have done, but it's still, it was more money. It was on BBC Two, as I recall. Um, it was. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, you know, really, really good time. Um, and it, like I say, it was the, it really was the rebirth of, of the club and 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 where we started on this on this trajectory to where we are now. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I mean, you mentioned the side that United put out, and you know, I'm just going to re- read off the names now. So Tim Howard was in goal. Yeah. You had Gerard Piquet, Wes Brown, Jonathan Spector, uh, and Kieran Richardson in defence. Chris Eagles, Dave Jones, Eric Jemba Jemba, and Phil Neville in midfield. Uh, and Liam Miller, sorry, in midfield, yeah. and David Bellion up front. Um, See now you've and, now you've read it out. It's better than I remembered because <laughs> there are some good, there are some good players in there. There are, yeah. They, they brought Oles and Cristiano Ronaldo after sixty three minutes, and Alan Smith after seventy six. Yeah, there um, you go. There's three. There's three good players. They might have a future in the game. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> like you say, they. they it was a, it was a comfortable nil nil, wasn't it? I mean, United didn't have the best of seasons. I think they finished third uh, in yeah. the Premier League. I mean, yeah. in relation to the conference, clearly yeah. that's well demonstrably better. But you know, for a United, United uh, season, that's not a good season, really. Yeah, um, they played. Well, I think you could always say that they learned their lesson, didn't they? They played an exceptionally strong side in yeah. the second game, didn't they? Yeah, they did. They did what I think big teams should do, which is start with a strong team, and then when you've won the game, weaken it. You know, I, I've I've never really understood when when teams put out a weak team, hope that they do the business and then have sort of good players on the, or better players on the bench and bring them on as needed. Um, 
but yeah, they took the opposite approach in the game at ours. I think Cristiano Ronaldo scored extremely early. Um, he did, yeah. Yeah, um, on a terrible, terrible pitch. I remember the pitch being a quagmire. Um, and yeah, they, they ultimately they beat us pretty comfortably in the end. Sean Devine missed a sitter. I remember that. He certainly should have scored. Um, in front of the which, big bank. Yes, I do remember. Yes, and he had a goal yeah. disallowed for offside as well, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, um, he was miles offside, to be fair. But the, the one he missed was a was a bad one. You know, that would have been a nice moment if he put that in. Um, but he, he, was a, he was a good player for us. Sean Devine, Devine. <laughs> he wears number 29. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and as I say, that United team that they put out, I said it was strong. Tim Howard, Gary Neville, John O'Shea, Ryan Giggs, Jemba Jemba. Paul Scholes, Phil Neville, Liam Miller, Quinton Fortune, Cristiano Ronaldo, Wayne Rooney. That was the starting eleven. Um, yeah, it's not a bad. It's not a bad front two, is it, Ronaldo and Rooney? No, no. Um, yeah. I think it probably you know, later on in in the season or late later seasons, I think that was probably worth about eighty goals between the two of them, really, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think um, I think it's fair to say all of those would have got in our team. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right, though. It it it, it pretty much. It sort of financially put the club on a much, much um, further footing, didn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah, you mentioned Eamon, Eamon Dolan had already gone. Don't, uh, we, we talk about those managers earlier that you mentioned, Eamon Dolan, Alex Inglethorpe, um, uh, Paul Tisdale, and, yep. and now Matt Taylor. Matt Taylor. Yep. Um, uh, that's, four, that's four managers in over 20 years, isn't it? Yes, now that's what yeah. you call continuity. Yeah, fantastic. But it's uh, you, you know we we had um, Steve Perriman as director of football under um, under the first three, um, and I think that was really helpful. Actually, you know these were all young managers. None of them had had. I think Inglethorpe had managed Leatherhead, um, but other than that, um, uh, obviously Eamon hadn't managed anyone. Um, uh, Tisdale. I, th- I think I'm right in saying hadn't managed any. Oh, I think he managed Team Bath, but you know, you know, not to the, uh, not to the scale of what he was going to do with us. And, and and I think Perryman was he was them. he in charge of them when they got to the FA Cup first round? He was Team and Bath. They played yeah. Mansfield Town away, as I recall. Um, mm-hmm. um, yes, he was he was the manager there. Um, but I think I think I think Perryman helped these guys help take them on, um, and 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 sort of coach them a little bit. And I think maybe Taylor. Um, has lacked a bit of that. Um, uh, our, our current manager, you know, sometimes we feel we feel like we've got less of an identity. Well, to me, anyway. Other people have different. It's funny, views. funny you say that because I, I remember the, just just interrupt there quickly because the, the last time that I went down to to Exeter, uh, you'll recall um, you'd been on massive, massive shant at Somerset Cricket Club, County Cricket Club the day, the day before. Uh, Swindon Town was the, was, were the opponents. Uh, I met you in a terribly hungover state in a pub in Exeter. Um, but I remember you talking about it uh, before the game. Uh, we weren't unfortunately able to drink after the game. But um, yeah, you, you did mention that one of the biggest criticisms that you had is that you had, you didn't feel like you had an identity like you, like you had, particularly under Tisdale. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we always signed a, a certain profile of player and and played in a certain way. Um, and, and I think under Taylor, it, it, and this is, I'm exaggerating to make a point, but, you know, it feels like we're just another League Two club. Um, you know, I, I talked earlier around, you know, the profile of players we've signed in this closed season. These aren't, these aren't players, maybe with two exceptions, that you're going to think, 
oh, this is a bit different, or this is exciting, or this is going to be great. You know, you're talking about players who are released by Colchester, players who are released by Tranmere. Um, and it's just, it all feels a bit samey. Whereas under Tisdale, you know, you'd get these random sort of left field players from the from the lower leagues who were extremely young um, and who were going to come in and develop under us. And and and, and there's, there's just less of that now. Um, and I think there's less identity. We're talking sort of players like sort of. Sort of oh, I think Jamie Mackey was there before Tisdale, wasn't he? But that sort uh, of uh, caliber yeah, of player, or that profile. Ryan Harley, another one we signed from Western Supermare. Um, you know that that sort of signing. You know, we we rarely signed players who had played 150 league games. Um, yeah. And, and now we're signing players who have played 150 league games in our league and be been released by teams in our league. Um, mm-hmm. And it, and it's you, you know it doesn't it, it doesn't look like a profile of player that a team who are chasing automatic promotion, which in my view is what we should be, um, yeah. would be signing. And then when you watch us play, and and Dave, you 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 came with me a number of times under Tisdale. Even when we were playing badly, we had a we had an identity to us in terms mm-hmm. of how we play, retaining the ball, and and we do it steadfastly. It was annoying at times, you know, if we're losing the game three 0 four 0 we're still steadfastly retaining the ball, playing football like Crew used to do in the nineties. Um, now we 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 don't do that too much, you know. Last season, we based our whole team around Ryan Bowman, who was a good player in our league and a good player for us. But you know, he's a big boy. We went very direct to the big guy, um, like everyone else does in League Two. And uh, you know, I just it it, it just felt less. Um, you know, we always used to feel different to everyone else in Division Four, and last year I don't think we did feel quite as different. Um, and 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 I enjoyed it a bit less as a result. And I I I, I put it down to Perryman moving on because I think Perryman gave us that continuity under three managers. Um, I was going to say the, uh, the I mean the, the identity that the club had. I mean, as we've mentioned Eamon Dolan, the late Eamon Dolan, of course, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and Inglethorpe and and Tisdale, of course, all kind of moulded together by by Perryman. Um, they they kind of set the tone and the standard for Exeter City, didn't they? And what the club yeah. was about. And they were genuinely, you know, nice guys. You know, they yeah. were knowledgeable guys. They, they they were football men, good football men, yeah. but nice guys as well at the same time. Yeah. yeah. And maybe, you know, maybe this links into some of the discussion we had earlier, Dave, that maybe M- Matt's come in and he's maybe the first manager that's come in where there's any level of expectation. You know, because he's got, you know, suddenly we've got a large wallet that we've never had before because of all these player sales. And suddenly he's feeling a pressure to get a result on a Saturday, whereas previously Tisdale would look at a much bigger picture um, and would build the club. You know, he would play young players, even if they weren't the best available players, to give them experience to make them more sellable. That's Tisdale could see that bigger picture. Um uh, uh, but maybe, maybe, maybe Taylor's feeling a little bit of pressure to to get the result on the here and now because there is that expectation for us to um, f- for us to progress and compete in the top three. Um, is that expectation purely from the fans, or is it also from the board now? I don't think it's from the board at all. Actually, um, I think it's purely from the fans um, because we've made all this money, um, and, and and people are starting to say, well, you know, if you're going to sell all our best players. What, what are we getting in return? You know, they want to see some kind of ROI on that in terms of, you know, you've, we sold someone for a million, 
but hey, we've got this established League Two player on a half a million salary or whatever who's going to get us 30 goals in exchange. Um, you know, where you just see the money coming in and no and no investment in the team. And by the way, none of this is a criticism of the club because I think I genuinely think they've tried to invest and players just haven't wanted to come. Um, but it's I, I, it's not a good look um, from a um, from the perspective of your ordinary fan who just sees the good players leave and, and, and no one, could, you know, on the face of it, worse players replacing them. Yeah. Do you think, uh, just alluding back to, to um, the podcast with Ian, yeah. Um, and he he spoke about uh, a number of or a couple of managers coming in, like Gary Hours, for example, at Torquay, uh, who had absolutely no um, idea of, uh, and, and Alan Neil being the biggest one actually, um, no idea about running a, or managing a football club in the southwest. Uh, yeah. With it being out on a limb, you need to have that um, that different angle to your transfer activity and your or your prospective transfer activity, so that you can actually bring players in down there. And it, does that does that kind of uh, sort of transpose itself to Exeter um, and, and Plymouth to a slightly lesser degree? Or, or is, I, yeah. I, is, I is that a, a, yeah, I think it's a brilliant point from Ian. Yeah, absolutely brilliant point. You know, you have to be creative in terms of who you can recruit. The, uh, and, and I think what we've tried to do this summer, and, and, and a lot of this is hearsay, and I may well be totally wrong, but, you know, some of the players we're going for are the players League One teams are going for, the players, you know, bigger clubs, more established clubs in League Two are going for, Bradford, you know, you know clubs are getting at crowds of 18,000. And I think we've gone in for those players uh, uh, naively. And what we found is, you know, that your random northern guy would rather stay up north for less money <laughs> than come and sign for us for more money all the way down in the southwest. So I think I think Ian on on that point is absolutely spot on. But then what Gary Johnson's done at Torquay and Tisdale was always able to do with us is be creative in who you're sourcing. Like we we signed David Noble from Bristol City. David Noble was a championship quality player. We signed him and it, and it was seven months before he was fit. And I can remember the interview with Tisdale. It's like, well, how else am I going to get a, a championship quality player to come and play for us in League Two? You know, uh, one that's fit isn't going to sign for us. So we'll sign him now. We'll pay him for seven <laughs> months while he's injured. Uh, and, and then we once he's, once he's recovered, we've got him. And the same mm -hmm. with, you know, tapping into uh, good young players who, who, who aren't as established and don't have as many options. You know, this, and, and, and obviously Gary Johnson at Torquay, I'm sure Ian said, you know, he's creative with, you know, I think we signed a lot of young players from Bristol City and, and, and all that who are already in the area. So I think that that degree of creativity and doing it a bit differently is, is very important in the Southwest. We can't go toe to toe. You know, I'm, I'm watching Leighton Orient QPR as I talk to you. Nine players out of 10 would rather sign for Leighton Orient than us, not because they're a better club or it's a better prospect because it's in London. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, um, and, and so we just need to be a little bit cleverer than just entering the auction and trying to and trying to get something out of the out of it. But we've done it, uh, Dave, with 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 Reading, haven't we? We we you know we've established a relationship with Reading, um, and, and and we we get first dibs on on a lot of their young players once they're released, and and, and they know absolutely. about us, and we know about them, and you know a lot of these players are good players. Anderson, when we signed him, the goalkeeper, who's brilliant for us last year, Jokel Anderson is yeah. now on uh, on loan at Morecambe. Yeah, exactly. You know, he he said when when he signed, no one wanted him. He couldn't get a non-league team to take him. 
But because we got that relationship with Reading, we found out he was decent. He was a good prospect. He came down, he played for us. And now he's, you know, suddenly I think he got a three-year contract at Reading off the back of playing for us. And they were ready yep. to get rid of him. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's, that's the sort of creativity we need in the, in the transfer market. Those sort of yeah. contacts being cleverer. Um, I, just I think I think yeah. I just I just need to make that point because you know, Eamon Dolan has been mentioned on a number of occasions in this in this podcast. And of course, Eamon Dolan um, was uh, uh, appointed as Reading's academy manager. Um, he was Exeter City's manager, and we we essentially recruited him on the back of, of the work that he'd done at Exeter to become our academy manager. Um, and our academy still lords. Um, the, the work that Eamon Dolan done. You know, we have a stand at the stadium named after him. Um, uh, it's the first time we, you know, the first time we'd ever done that. Um, and to give uh, a, a little bit of perspective, we we renamed um, another stand uh, in the summer on the back of the uh, the select car leasing um, naming rights. Um, the stadium is, will no longer be known as the Medeski Stadium. The East Stand is now known as the John Medeski Stand. And that's only the second time we've done that. So Eamon Dolan was the first. And that just gives an indication of the, um, uh, the, 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 the regard that Dolan was, was held at Reading. Um, and the academy was built very much on his vision. And it still maintains that vision, we think, um, at Reading. And there's no, no surprise that Exeter of, of, of you know, the, the, the two kind of go uh, very much hand in glove still. And you still yeah. uh, sort of loan. Or you know even sign players from us you know I think thinking back you know Pierre Sweeney obviously we've mentioned earlier uh, in in uh, offline uh, Lewis Ward is another one Jake Taylor, Jake Taylor. who's uh, who's only yep. recently left um, you know, there's a number of players Andreessen as you mentioned yep. um, there's a number of players that have played for Exeter either on loan that have come from Reading's academy um, and you know and to, to go to a club like Exeter and I'm gonna I'm gonna you know, sort of blow smoke up your ass a little bit here. Or your club's ass. Please um, do to go to a club like <laughs> to go to a club <laughs> like Exeter is only is only going to be a good education to not just develop those players as footballers, but to develop those players as men and people. Yeah. Um, and th- you know that's that's one of the good things that Exeter City do because you. I, I I struggle to think of any proper arseholes that have come out of um, out of Exeter City's academy. Yeah, I I don't think there's there's been many and and and. And I, th- I think what you said is right. You know, I remember, again, watching an interview with Tisdale where he said, you know, we we loan players in and people are happy to loan us their players because we look after them as if they're our own, right? So we'll we'll try to develop them and help make them better. And, you know, and, and a number of outcomes can come from that, right? It might be that Reading decide at the end of the year they don't fancy them and if they've done well for us, then because we've looked after them well, they want to sign for us. It, it may well be that they go back to Reading like Anderson and they suddenly realise he's a bit better than they thought he was and then he earns another contract. But then that means next time Reading have got a young player, they'll send him to us. So, you know, there's a virtuous cycle that you create there um, by, by treating loan players well. And, and, and like I say, that's about, that, that's the level of creativity we need to have because we don't have that same lure and... Um, um, uh, geographically or probably financially versus a lot of teams. We need to offer that something different. And I, and I, I think that's a great opportunity for us. We did it with two West Brom lads, um, Kyle Edwards, who, who, who Reading were desperately trying to get. And then obviously the 
all the problems. Didn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, we 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 had him. He was another one. He was nowhere near the West Brom team. We took him for a season, <laughs> then suddenly he's an asset for them, and he goes into their first team. Um, mm-hmm. So we've done it with a with a number of them, um, and 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 I think that's that's a good angle for us um, in being being reputable and and making a, a reputation for ourselves as as, as players that. As, as a club, sorry, that, that good youth academies will trust with their young assets. It's not just that as well. It's disciplinary actually on the pitch as well, because yep. you're, uh, perennially, you, your, your disciplinary record is exceptional. Rarely yeah, see so, a red card, for example, for Exeter. Yeah, not so much now. Um, certainly under Tisdale, um, we were... Um, Always at the at the very top of the of the pile in the ninety two, I think for, for for discipline. Taylor's a little more um, a little more robust, um, a, a little bit more happy to have a couple of tacklers in midfield. Um, I think we I think we had a couple of reds last season. Um, we, but but we're by no means a dirty team. You know, we're not a Northampton or a Cheltenham. Um, but we, we we stand up for ourselves a little bit more than perhaps we did under Tisdale. Actually, throw our team names around. But we weren't. We, we you know we we we're. Um, I, I think at times we were too nice under Tisdale. Like we'd lose to teams who were worse than us because yeah. they were they were bigger than us and stronger than us. Um, now we stand up for ourselves a little bit more without being unduly physical. Anyway, uh, Tom, let's. Uh, I'd love to talk about this all. Oh, bloody evening to be honest with you over more than one beer as we very often do um but uh, i'm sure we'd end up boring people to be honest with you um significant six final uh final section and uh, i think yeah easily my my favorite section really in in in, the, in my podcast um yeah. six questions and you know you've had a look at them in advance and um yeah basically answers and uh, we'll discuss why essentially what your answers or why you've given the answers that you have so, question one: uh, favorite game that you've been to? Uh, I think for me, it'd be the, the the first season in the playoffs. Oh, the first season we got to the playoffs um, in the conference. We went to Oxford. Um, went there, playoff semi final, second leg. Um, we were we were a goal down from the first leg. Um, let in a second goal quite early on in that game. Um, came back um, for two all. Um, went into penalties, um, and 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 I think I'm right in saying the, the the only point in which we were winning that tie was the very final penalty going in. Like we were <laughs> we were, we were um, uh, constantly chasing the game, um, and you know for for, for us, uh, I think it was Tisdale's first season as manager. For us, it was the um, first ever time we played at Wembley, um, new or old. Um, so it was a huge deal for us to get there. Obviously, we'd gone through all the shit we had gone through. Um, and to go to Oxford, you know, that was, that was going to be a tough game. I don't know if you remember, that was their first season in the conference. They'd mm-hmm. retained a lot of the players that they'd had in the league. Jim Smith was still manager, <clears throat> um, who was a big name at the time. The late Jim Smith, we should say. I don't think he's with us mm-hmm. anymore. Um um, you know, that was a really big, difficult game for us. Um, and we went there with a very young team, a far less established team than they had. Um, and, and yeah, we were able to, to pickpocket them right at the last minute, right at the last knockings uh, of the penalty shootout. So 
fantastic mm-hmm. day, fan- fantastic day out. You know, nice local one for me as well in the south. Um, fantastic. Yes, yeah, so nice, easy, nice, easy sort of hours train journey from Paddington. Um, of course, it takes you probably about an hour to get across uh, yeah. across London as well. But um, yeah. Yeah, so just just a brilliant brilliant day, you know. And it's, I mean, you know, this local to you, Oxford, brilliant, brilliant away day. You know, you go into the town centre, fantastic for a drink, particularly for an evening game because you can get up there nice and early and, and have a little wander around town and then make your way out mm-hmm. to the stadium. So, um, yeah. absolutely fantastic. And and actually, we've always got a good record at at, at Oxford. And this leads into your next question around favourite away ground. <laughs> <laughs> We always do well at Oxford, right? <laughs> um, and yeah, so um, so yeah, it's always a treat to go there. Yeah, and I'm just going to quickly touch on um, uh, well, the essentially the equalising goal scorer because um, I don't know if you remember who scored your second goal that night. Um, that was, uh, but again, Adam Stansfield, right? Adam it Stansfield. was Adam Stansfield, indeed, a player yeah. that you still sing about, but is. Uh, well, like you mentioned with Jim Smith and, and I've mentioned with Eamon Dolan, he's no longer with us and actually died, um, well, tragically young, didn't he? He did. And it was the anniversary of his passing yesterday, in fact. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, very sad. Um, I, I was going to a lot of games at the time he died. And um, it was it, weirdly, it's very noticeable. Stansfield, I, I don't think I'm talking ill of the dead to say, you know, he was never... A, 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 a wonderfully talented player, you know, he was never one that was going to be sold and go on and play in the Premier League. But uh, but he was a real worker, you know, um, effort closing down. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if the term existed when he was with us, but the, the sort of Gagan press, never letting a never letting a defender relax on the ball, um, um, w- w- was really his strength and, and playing off the shoulder of a striker and going through, sorry, off a defender and going through one on one. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could actually see his deterioration as a player. You know, you saw his energy going, um, which is quite sad to see. And, you know, as a fan, you don't really know what's going on. Obviously, why do we know that? We didn't, we, like, why is he not fit or is he injured? Um, yeah, and to see his deterioration, his deterioration was extremely quick from the from the point of, of diagnosis. So very sad. You know, he's a great servant for us, very local to Exeter as well. Um and yeah, very, very sadly missed, as you say. And the, the fans still sing about him now. Still got a, a giant um, shirt that's handed around the, the the big bank at Exeter with his name on the bank uh, on the back. So yeah, certainly not forgotten about. Um, yeah, I'm very much missed. Yeah, because he uh, didn't only play for Exeter. He played the majority, if not all, of his football in the southwest as well, didn't he? Did he play for Cheltenham and Yeovil as well? I, I don't think Cheltenham. Um, he played for Hereford. Um, Hereford, Hereford, that's who I'm thinking yes. of, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, he was born, I think he was from Tiverton, I think I'm right in saying. He played non league football um, in the southwest and then and then went on to, to Yeovil and Hereford. You know, it's a travesty, really, that we didn't get him sooner than we did. Um, he's, you know, right under our noses. A young player like that playing non league football, he should, have, he should have played for us his whole career. Um, mm-hmm. um, but, but, but yeah, no. It, you, you, you know, he's sort of player. No one, no one dislikes him. Um, I think he's very popular everywhere he played because of what I described. You know, he's all effort, all running, um, all action type player. Um, but yeah, he's still very much part of of City. You know, everyone, everyone sings his name. He's got a charity foundation in his name um, that people still contribute to. So, mm-hmm. um, and I, I know, recall because uh, again, it, 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 
you mentioned it was his uh, the anniversary of his death uh, of, uh, well yesterday, eleven years yeah. ago yesterday. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I recall because uh, we well Reading had a tie at Torquay, um, yeah. uh, and our tie was was scheduled for the Wednesday, and you played Ipswich in the um, uh, on the Tuesday uh, before it was announced that he had sadly passed, and uh, I had a car. Um, well, a, a car of four people with me, all of course mutual friends of ours, mm. um, and uh, we actually um, swung by um, uh, St James's Park and uh, yeah, paid our paid our respects and uh, well, essentially we felt that it was on your behalf because you weren't able mm. to do so. Um, so uh, and yeah, it was uh, there was there was a lot of emotion there that day, and it's the only time I've ever really experienced that um, at, at, a, at a football ground. Yes, yeah, extremely sad. Of course, we had uh, we, we we had it with um, with with Eamon as well. You know, both both our respective clubs had it with with, with Eamon as well. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, always very sad. I can remember the the, the, the subsequent game that we played um, uh, after it. Um, but yeah, I think you know difficult times. And, and and again, another thing I keep referring back to things Tisdale said at the time. But I remember Tisdale saying. You know, there's no club in the country is better equipped to deal with this kind of tragedy than we are. Um, and, yeah, you, you know, we, we, we dealt with it well and I think we moved on well. I think the number nine was only unretired last year mm-hmm. um, and was given to a, a, a young Exeter lad, Ben Seymour. Um, so, yeah, sad times. Um, and that was so. That was that was a very deliberate decision as well, wasn't it? If I remember rightly, it was with the blessing of um, Adam Stansfield's family, uh, yes. and that number nine shirt will only ever be given to, uh, a, a, well, essentially an Exeter Academy product, if I remember rightly. I'm I'm, I'm not sure the exact details of it, Dave, but I, what I know is they they the the timescale it was retired was very deliberate because um, uh, Adam's son was in the youth academy. And, and last season would have been the first year he could have been professional. So the idea was if he made it, he could have inherited the shirt. Um, but as, as it came to pass, um, linked to our discussion earlier, Fulham pickpocketed him off, pickpocketed, pickpocketed him from us under, um, uh, under those financial regulations where big clubs can can cherry pick young players from clubs like ours. So he, he actually isn't mm-hmm. around anymore, but he's been very successful in the under 23s at Fulham. Um, so um, as a consequence, it went to, it, it went to another academy product. Okay. Um, again, I could talk for hours about that kind of thing, but um, slightly morbidly. Um, yeah. Let's move on to, to slightly happier things. And I think I know where your answer's going with this one. So your favourite away ground. And yeah, why is it the Badesi Stadium? <laughs> it's not the Badesi Stadium, which is which is not a great <laughs> way there. Um, no, I've I've got loads I like though. You know, I love I love going to Oxford because it's a brilliant city. We always get a good result there. Um, they really dislike us as well, and I don't know why. I think it's because of that time in the conference when we were always beating them, and that was always good fun. Um, I remember, I think I remember one game that you came to with me, Dave, and I think we were two 0 down. Um, and we were 2-1 down, I think, a minute over injury time. And we still equalised. There's something about us at Oxford where we, we, we seem to never lose. Um, um, so, yeah, so I've got lots of happy memories of there. I, I, I love York, a random, another random one. 
um, but another brilliant city. Quite, it's a long way away, but quite accessible on the train. Um, um, so always a treat to go up there. Cambridge, another good one. Um, so so yeah, there's there's lots I like. Exeter for me, by the way, feels like an away game um, because it's so far away, <laughs> um, yeah. and 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 it's a great it's a great location um, in, in terms of being a town centre ground, which makes for a great day out as well. Um, because um, you can go and have your fun, have your lunch, have your drinks in town and, you know, leave the pub at 10 to 3 in the centre of town and you're still at the ground in good time for kickoff. Um, so quite what, unique. What we said, yes, absolutely. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it doesn't, it, obviously, it's a little bit of a, of a taxi ride uh, from St David's Station, but uh, yeah. from uh, Central Station, it's, well, it's right there, isn't it? All of the, uh, all of the bars and it's, it's no more, well, it's no more than 15 minutes walk from Central Station uh, if you do it directly. Uh, it's no more than, uh, well, I don't know how many bars there are on the way uh, between Central, and, there's, and, there's, but there's quite a few, aren't there? There's, there's as many, exactly. It depends what route you go, but you can you can find as many as you need, that's for sure. Um, and, and, and yeah, it makes for a great away day. And I think, you know, with all these out-of-town grounds, there's, there's very few now that um, you, you can do that with, you know, where... You're right in the middle of the town, and you know the whole town feels like a match day. You, you, you don't get that too often these days with the out of town mm -hmm. ground. So I think that's a real treat at Exeter as well. But like, I know it's a bit of a cop out because that's not really an away ground. But um, you know, Oxford, York, Cambridge would probably be my probably be my top three. Yeah. Okay. So uh, what about your favourite season? Oh, oh, great question. Um, favourite season. I think I would probably say the season we stayed up on the last day in League One. Um, so let me... 2009-10? Uh, yeah, so it was the season before we finished eighth. Um, yes, 2009-10. So you opened... Yeah, you, yeah it was, so it was the season after you got promoted. It was two promotions in a row, wasn't it? Or was yes, it? it was, yeah, at the conference. It was. Yeah, so 9-10. Yeah, so and we... we we, we we went into that league and, and bear in mind we, we you know we're two years out of the conference at this stage out of a very weak conference and we went into a strong league one like Norwich Leeds Sheffield Wednesday um, um, and we really held our own um, we, we weren't brilliant but we weren't awful either I think we got a couple of hidings but nothing nothing terrible um, and it, it, brilliant memories of our um, last game of the season that year we we had to beat Huddersfield and it was when Lee Clark was Huddersfield manager and they were they were a bit draw specialists they never ever lost but they always seemed to draw um mm -hmm. and I think they they needed to win to get into the into the automatics we needed to win to stay up and they scored after two minutes Matt Taylor actually um it gave away a goal um and we managed to come back and win 2-1 um I think the winning goal was I think I'm right in saying George Friend um, volley from the edge of the box. Um, he was certainly involved. Was it George Friend? No, it was Ryan Harley. It's Ryan Harley. I think it was George Friend that, that, that assisted him. Mm -hmm. um, um, but a, a wonderful result. You know, we had lots of... It's one of those seasons that we were never going to be brilliant in that division. We were never going to finish eighth or ninth. But those that accumulation of brilliant individual results made it a great season. I think we beat we, we beat Leeds at home that season, for example. You did. I remember you beat them two 0 yeah. two Ryan Harley goals. Yeah, um, and you uh, played them on the opening day of the season, didn't you? And were very very unlucky to come away with a two one defeat. Yeah, very late goal by um, um, Beckford, 
um yeah so that was like i say it's i think there's different things that make you enjoy different seasons and that wasn't it wasn't a season where we steamrolled everyone and won every week and and it was great for that reason but that just holding our own at that level after being in the conference for ages and getting those few brilliant individual moments made that a, a, a great season ah, good stuff good stuff so was your favorite ever away day from that season or uh, are we talking something different well i mean there's a few you know i'll, I'll choose one slightly left field bit of a weird choice but um, the season we finished eight, so the subsequent season to that, um, mm-hmm. we were just outside the playoffs. We, we couldn't get in the playoffs last day of the season, but we went up to Sheffield Wednesday um, last day of the season. Another team that we inexplicably have a very good record against. Um, and went up there, let in a very early goal, of course, huge crowd, brilliant stadium, Sheffield Wednesday. Um, uh, and... Uh, we, we we managed to turn it round. We got we 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 equalised, and then Troy Archibald Henville went on a crazy run from literally from seventy five yards from goal, and literally just just strolled through um, the entire Sheffield Wednesday defence in in injury time, and and, and got us a winner um, right at the death. And then extraordinary extraordinarily in the in the aftermath, where the players were celebrating. Um, Paul Tisdale brought himself on as a substitute. Like we hadn't even realised he'd been named as a substitute, um, and he, he brought himself on. Um, and it was really just one of those sort of extraordinary, surreal scenes. And if I, if I look back at it now, you know, we went from eighth that year to being relegated the subsequent year. That was really kind of us at our peak. You know, we had a lot of good players who all kind of left at once. Um, that sort of cycle of players. Um, had all had all taken us on that journey to to the, our, our, our best ever position, and unfortunately, all left at once, and we were unable to mm-hmm. replace them. But I'm just looking me, at that forward line, uh, yeah, who I believe both left: uh, Danny Nardiello and Jamie Curran. Uh, yep, they 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 must have been worth forty to forty five goals that season. Yeah, I think Nardiello went to Rotherham. I think Curran went to Lake Orient, if I remember correctly. Um, mm-hmm. They both left, but we also had Harley, who I think went to Swansea that close season. I, I think we'd had. Yeah, uh, I remember you, uh, Ryan Harley. I remember you sold him. I think it was only half a million pounds, but they agreed to loan him back for the rest of the season, didn't they? Uh, yeah, they were in the prem- I think, No, under Harley, Harley actually, we tried to sell, couldn't get the price we wanted. So in the end, he actually left for free. Um, and that oh, was blimey. actually. To, okay. Uh, yeah, and it was actually to Brighton. I feel like it was to Brighton. If I remember correctly, it was to Brighton. He, he went. No, actually, let me take a step back. It was it was Brighton wanted him. We gave him to Swansea. Swansea sort of signed him on a Bosman, and then Swansea got promoted, and they were in the Premier League, and then decided actually they don't want him. <laughs> now they're in the Premier League, um, and then they gave him straight to Brighton, who 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 hadn't got him when they tried to sign him earlier. So I don't think he ever played a game for Swansea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, Swansea getting into the Premier League in a playoff final. Which I would yeah. much rather forget. <laughs> no. Okay. So into the uh, uh, sort of your, your City players, past and present. So who's your favourite current City player? I think Matt Jay, for me, is a brilliant player. Um, uh, came through the youth system. Um, didn't get a sniff for ages. Um, he, he's when he came through the youth system as a striker. Um 
they kept getting his contract renewed. I remember it was always really weird. I was like, why, why do you keep giving him another contract? It was strange because he was never getting any games. Um, <laughs> yeah. And um, he, uh, he, he he sort of, uh, when, when his opportunity came, it came playing a little bit deeper as a, as a holding midfield player. And when we lost Nicky Law last season, he sort of made that position his own as, as, as playing between the midfield and the strikers. Um or striker generally for us rather than strikers. Um, but, you know, he's fantastic. He's got goals in his game. He can pick a pass, holds it together, holds the holds the ball up well, slows the game down well when we're winning. Um, you know, he, he's been named captain this season. Um, and it's, it's great, you know, it's great for us to have one established young player who actually makes it to 25, 26, having played for us the whole way through. And is established to the extent that he can be captain because normally we, we we get good young players and, and 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 lose them within a year or two years to to bigger clubs so you know he's he, he's certainly very very well liked i think for that reason mm -hmm. i'm just looking at his uh his record now and he's in his career i mean this includes two loan spells at truro and hayes um or hayes and the Edith. Uh, he scored 40 goals, fought just over 40 goals in 120 odd appearances. So that's one in three in his career, which is not bad going, really, is it? But is that going to be heavily skewed towards last season, though? I would have thought. I, I don't know. I don't know what you're looking at there. But he, I think he got over 20 last season. Um, and then the rest are spread over sort of eight years. That's interesting. Because uh, I think last season was really, you know, age 24, 25 is the last time, last, the first season he had a proper run of games. Yeah, fair enough. Um, fair enough. All right. Um, so it's all, all, all the goals are sort of shoehorned <laughs> into that season. Might be, uh, yeah, might be editing that bit out then. So yeah, he scored 17 <laughs> last season. <laughs> <laughs> but, but a great right. example, though, of, of a young player who hangs around and waits for his opportunity. You know, he could have, he, he, he was playing three or four games sort of bits and pieces coming on as a sub um historically in previous seasons never lost his patience kept his head down i remember matt taylor saying he had a great lockdown is what he said you know he went away um during the first lockdown kept himself fit strong came back ready to play first team football when a mm -hmm. lot of players went away during that first lockdown and presumably just sat around and got fat treated um, it like he, a pre-season Exactly, exactly. Treat it like holiday. Um, but but Jay, Matt Jay came back with, you know, having had a good attitude and, and, and was ready to go in and be our main man. And he went from being zero to hero, really. You know, he's our, easily our most important player and captain now. When if you mm -hmm. if you asked me this 15 months ago, I'd be like, why are we still giving that guy a salary? I don't you know. I don't understand why he's still on the payroll because he's never yeah. getting near the first team. So it, a great example of persistence and development of, of, of a young player and, and, and really benefiting from them. Yeah, good stuff. And what about your, your all-time favourite? Robert, it's got to be Rob Edwards. Um, I think um, I, I touched on it a little bit earlier. You know, that, that conference game at Torquay, the conference playoff game at Torquay, when he sort of grabbed us, grabbed us in the game by the scruff of the neck and, and dragged us through... Um, to, to, to get us that win and get us to that final. And then he scored the winner in the final. Um, you know, he really, it sort of changed the course of our history, really. If we'd lost that game against Torquay, as I said earlier, it wouldn't surprise me if we were still in the conference now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's someone who came in 
a tight, you, you know, an unusual profile for Tisdale signing, you know, an established player who played a lot of games, but he came in and added value immediately. It was fantastic, fantastic, fantastic player. Um, yeah, played a lot of games for Bristol City and Preston, if I remember right. Yes, yeah, I think we got career. him. Yeah, I think we got him from Preston, from memory, which is an unusual career path from Preston to Exeter. Um, but yeah, he came in and was just an example. So you could see he was an example to everyone. You know, never had a bad game, never lost the ball, always retained possession of the ball. Um, even if we weren't moving forwards, he never lost the ball. Um, and I think I think he spent most of his career as a centre half, and then he came to us, and because he was our best player, we played him in midfield. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it, absolutely fantastic player. Uh, completely built a team around him, and that's the team that got us out of the conference. So um, definitely him. I've got a signed shirt of his um, sat in my office upstairs. Um, sat there as my backdrop for all my Zoom calls. So yeah, ab- undoubtedly my favourite all time. Nice, nice. Yeah. Well, I think yeah, as ever, that's sort of, you know tend to look for a positive place to end it, and I think that's a really good place uh, to finish this episode. Uh, Tom, thank you so much for your time. As I say, it was very short notice. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been typically enlightening. It's almost as though we've just been chatting in the pub, really. Hopefully you feel the same way. And, um, yes, absolutely. Yeah, and hopefully you've enjoyed it, mate. No, good, mate. I'm, I'm always happy to spend a few hours talking about City. So um, always a <laughs> pleasure. Enjoyed it. and It was good catching up. Good stuff. Good stuff. Just a quick couple of things before me, uh, for from me before uh, we close this episode off. Um, as usual, um, social media. You can follow Terrace Memoirs on Twitter at uh, literally at Terrace Memoirs. Uh, there is a Facebook group of the same name. Um, and likewise, uh, as I say every single time, if you've got any issues or um, I want to correct any facts, or if you want to come on the show, or you want to talk to me about absolutely anything. Even if you're just trying to decide what you want for tea tonight, um, email me um, at, uh, at Terrace Memoirs. The email address is terracememoirs at gmail.com. But otherwise, Tom, it's been brilliant. Great to catch up. It's been a while since we last spoke, but it's, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a, a thoroughly enjoyable. How long has it been now? Two and a half hours. Um, and uh, yeah, this is Terrace Memoirs over and out.